0: Greetings everyone. This is Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining me today. I'm here in my office with my Bible open to Ephesians chapter 5. We've been exploring this reality that God has called and empowered every believer to be a minister. Each one of us has been created with a purpose and given specific instructions and parameters on how to rightly serve in the various roles God has given for us to function in. Our life is not a one-lane road in the sense that I don't have just one role to play, one lane to drive in. But most of our lives are like an interstate highway that has multiple lanes. This can easily become confusing. I think of the freeway near where my daughter lives in Bellevue, Washington. I remember driving there after they had recently finished some major construction and had added several new lanes, And as you entered this part of the freeway approaching downtown, there was literally a different sign over every lane. And it was like five or six lanes. And each one of them had specific instructions. They now had a carpool lane for vehicles with at least three passengers and one for carpools of two passengers. In addition to the signs of upcoming off-ramps, there was so much to read in the few seconds before we passed under the signs that there was no way to read it all, let alone process the information and make a decision. I remember thinking that there was going to be so many accidents right there, caused by people not watching the road, but just trying to read all the signs. Fortunately, God gives us clear directions on how to navigate ministry in our lives. We are first of all called to minister to God, and that looks like something, and we've talked about that. Then we are called to minister in our homes, and that looks like something. Ephesians chapter 5 is the script that directs husbands and wives on how to play their roles in the home. And we're talking about what that looks like. So Ephesians 5, starting in verse 30, it says, For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this is actually the second scene in which wives are to portray the manner in which God desires the church to respond to Christ. In the first scene, wives are called to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Now in this scene, Wives are called upon to respect their husbands. Respect is an interesting word. It's just as often translated reverence. As to how this word relates to our relationship with God, it would seem quite natural, right, for us to respect and to reverence God. After all, he's big. He created all that is. He's all powerful. How could we not be in awe of him? Every person in the Bible who had a personal encounter with God responded with awe and reverence. The Apostle John saw the Lord while exiled on Patmos and fell down as a dead man, it says. Moses, Isaiah, Paul, and others encountered God in His splendor and holiness. All of them responded with awe and reverence. God is awesome, and His presence is awe-inspiring. Respect, however, is not fully synonymous with awe. Awe is our response to God's power and the awesomeness of his very being and presence. Respect is our response to both God's power and his character. All of us have had our run-ins with bullies. Most of us can remember the name of the class bully who was bigger than us and all the other kids and used his size and strength to terrorize the smaller kids in the schoolyard. There's not one of us who didn't dream about how we would take that bully down a notch if we had the moves of Bruce Lee or Chuck Norris. But in reality, nobody respects a bully. He may be stronger than everyone else, but strength without character does not command respect. God, in stark contrast, is both all-powerful and holy. It is, in fact, the very person of God, who is the measurement of what is good. God is perfect in all that He is, and in all that He does. One John one five says that God is light; in Him there is no darkness at all. When I'm asked to name my favorite Bible passage, I always say Mark chapter one verses forty through forty two. One of the most significant and life changing moments I've ever had and experienced as a Christian was the day that God really gave me a personal revelation of his character through this passage. This short vignette recorded in Mark captures for me in microcosm the character of God, where it says, now a leper came to him, that is Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And what immediately strikes me in this story is the contrast between this leper and Jesus. The leper was physically repulsive His body disfigured from this cruel disease. He was a pariah in his own community, considered unclean by all who came near. This man was helpless and pathetic. Jesus, on the other hand, was everything that this man was not. And it's this contrast between Jesus and the leper which pictures the incalculable gulf between the holiness of God and the sinful, leprous state of man. It's not clear how the leper understood that Jesus had the power to help him. The fact that he came to Jesus on his knees begging shows his desperation. It's as if he realized that he may never again be this close to someone who had the power to do something about his predicament. As with the schoolyard bully, there's something in us which intensely dislikes it when one one party holds all the power and the other party, especially if it's us, holds no power. And this is precisely the situation in this story. The leper knew it, and Jesus knew it. When the leper addressed Jesus, he did not make a request or ask for help, but rather he blurted out a statement, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Assumed in this statement is that Jesus had the power to make him clean. The real question behind the statement was, Are you willing to make me clean? And this is the very question every leprous sinner asks God in his heart. God, I know you're big and powerful, but are you willing to do something about my leprous condition? Jesus responds to this man in a way that reveals how he'll respond to me when I ask that same question. Jesus' immediate reaction to this man is that his heart, it says, was moved with compassion. I love that word, compassion. It speaks of feeling passionately towards another. Jesus was moved. Jesus' compassion for this man compelled him to act. Jesus then stretched out his hand and touched the leper. Jesus' sinless flesh touched the leper's diseased and rotting flesh. It had probably been many years since this man had felt the touch of another human being. Now, Jesus could have just made a gesture with his hand or nodded, but he chose to make a physical connection. finally, Jesus spoke to the leper, what I consider to be perhaps the greatest statement in the Bible, when he says, I am willing, be cleansed. In one statement, Jesus reveals the very nature and character of God. God is all-powerful, and He is willing to reach out to me and heal my leprosy. God holds all the cards, all the power. In any other scenario, this would be a scary reality, but the character of God changes everything. God sees our helpless, sinful, leprous state, and His heart is filled with compassion. Jesus did not come to earth out of pity or some sense of moral duty. He came because he passionately loves us. This love compelled him to leave his perfect heaven and put on flesh and blood. He entered our pain and was a man acquainted with sorrow and grief. When confronted with my desperate cry for help, Jesus proclaims that he is willing to save me and make me his bride. God is awesome in his power and perfect in his character. How can I do anything other than worship him in humble awe and reverence? Now, reverence, like submission, is an essential component of worship. In Ephesians 5, wives are commanded to respect their husbands as a picture of the church respecting and reverencing Christ. When a wife does not treat her husband with respect, her actions picture a church that does not respect her Savior. How a woman talks to her husband and about her husband to others speaks volumes about the level of respect in that relationship. Obviously, there is not a husband alive who possesses perfect character. This reality, again, should cause wives to depend on the Holy Spirit to empower them to look beyond the natural Peter speaks of the spiritual power that is released when a woman chooses to play the role of the bride of Christ by submitting to and respecting her husband, even if he is an unbeliever. 1 Peter 3 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lives. There are several things we learn from this passage. One, when a wife respects and submits to her husband in purity, it says, there's a spiritual impact in the home, even if the husband is not a believer. Secondly, the call to fulfill the picture of Christ and the church by a husband and a wife is not dependent on the other person doing their part. Even if my spouse drops the ball, my responsibility does not change. I don't have to swerve in and out of their lane. Wives are never asked to take on the role of Christ in the home. This alleviates the confusion of trying to figure out how to compensate for the other person's shortcomings. Each person can simply stay in their lane and focus on their own role. God instituted marriage so that those who observe it may be won over without words, as it says in 1 Peter 3. It's been said that what we win people with is what we win people to. This understanding can result in a paradigm shift in our thinking as we realize that what we ultimately win people to can depend on how we live out the roles God has given us in our marriages. Today, Let us worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, for he is perfect in all that he is and in all that he does. And it's his presence manifest in our lives as we do what we know to be his will that is both willing and able to transform our lives and the lives and circumstances of those he will place in our path today. Amen.